We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 110. Our guest today is an amazing dressage rider who helped the United States win bronze in team dressage in the 1996, 2000, and 2004 Olympic Games. So let's hear it from him. Please welcome our guest today, Gunter Seidel. I would love to hear about how you first got into the equestrian world to start. I grew up on a little farm in the Alps in southern Germany, and we had neighbors who had little ponies called halflingers in their pastures, and that's how I started riding, actually. They, I was always drawn as a kid to the horses, and then they said, if you want to ride it, here's a bridle, here's a saddle, try to catch them <laughs> in the pasture and go and try to ride, and that's how I started. Wow, I love it. <laughs> how old were you at that point? I was maybe 10 or, 10 or 11, something like that. And then I had an uncle who rode a little more educated. He was a jumper rider, English riding, in, an, in a close-by village. And he would take me sometimes on a Sunday riding with him, or I would get to sit on the horse a little bit. That's a little bit more of a formal introduction I got to the riding world. Amazing. So as you got into it a little bit more, was your experience primarily in dressage or, or had you, you know, in the beginning done whatever you could and then had more of, I guess, like an interest in dressage or how did that work for you once you've solidified your discipline? Yeah, I think at the beginning it was more like, you know, pony club kind of thing where yeah. you just do everything. You just run around on horses uh, situation. Yeah. And then I ended up at that barn, my uncle actually was taking me. That was a dressage-related barn. And that's where I ended up going more on my own then. And I did a lot of I did um, three-day and some jumping. But I think it, was, it became clear very fast that I was more prone towards dressage. And that was more along the line what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So at that point in time, as you were doing more with dressage and learning more, at what point were you like, I really want to do this or have this part of my career or at least, you know, part of my life long term? I was probably 17 or Uh something or 18, something like that, 17, 18. And I ended up living at that barn and applied for an apprenticeship there, which is, you know, in Germany, the you do the writer license where you learn for three years and mm-hmm. you go to school and everything, and then you get a certificate. And <clears throat> I remember the woman I who was the boss there and she was the teacher, she... I started doing this for the three years and she called my parents and said, they need to pick me up because I have no talent. I refused to go. <laughs> my parents said, well, she called us. She said, you're not very good. We should pick you up. That You shouldn't be doing this. And I said, no, I want to stay. Oh, that is so, so funny. <laughs> I know. So mean. So what did you, I mean, at that point, confidence probably isn't at the all-time high. What did you do or how did you continue to grow and learn and obviously become successful I, it's just i just was crazy about doing it there wasn't yeah. really a big plan at that age you just do what 
you feel like you want to do it. I did not want to leave. I wanted, I wanted to keep riding horses. And then I ended up staying. And of course, things became better than after a while. And I, I, I did a little better. But I wasn't like the star pupil or anything by, by any means. And just to, to catch really forward, the same woman, her name was Hertha Beck, who was teaching me then and was not very high on my talent and anything. The... <laughs> When I wrote my first Olympics, she was the Browns who were then at that time my um, sponsors and, and owned the horses. They had invited her to the Olympics to Atlanta and she came and watched. <laughs> so that is that is a so, full circle yeah. story. It is a full circle. Uh-huh. I love it. Um, so as you were growing and learning at that point, at what at what point, I mean, you were you were a young professional, you were riding. At, at what point for you were, you know, different goals like the Olympic Games and and things like that? When were they on your radar and when were you starting to plan for those? Hmm. They weren't really for a long time. I mean, I was in in that time and I was learning, of course, the people who went to the Olympics, I would follow that. At this time, there was no internet or anything like this. Mm -hmm. So you would get the magazines or a little bit TV coverage and your idols were a Reiner Klimke or someone you would see on TV once in a while or read in a magazine. And of course, you always aspire to be that good but at that point it wasn't really like oh I'm going to the Olympics I did I finished my apprenticeship and I started working with horses for a few years and I had to go to the army which was mandatory at that time so I had Mm -hmm. to stop for a little bit for 18 months and then I worked a little bit more with the horses and then I was burned out for a while and I completely quit riding because Mm -hmm. when I was at that last place I had to ride the horses groom, muck the stars, mm-hmm. go out to the field, make the hay in the summertime. I pretty much do everything. It was like a 24-hour yeah. day job. And I was, after a year, I was like, oh my God, this is, that's a lot of work. I don't mm-hmm. know if I can do that. Yeah. So I quit and I ended up working in a, in a disco at night and made really good money and then ended up buying a ticket to Los Angeles to go on vacation. I said, I'm going to stay as long as I can. As until I ran out of money, and then I go back and, and uh, maybe I'll start horses again. But that was my plan at that age. It was wow. So and you then have... I ended up coming. Yeah, yeah. I ended up coming in Los Angeles on vacation, and I loved it so much here, as you can tell. Yeah. And I ended up never leave, never leaving again. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. I was just going to ask you at what point did you move to the U.S.? But yeah, once you once you went uh, to L.A. That you definitely wanted that part of your plan. So once you were here in the U.S., what was your plan as far as work? Was it horses right away, or how did you? No, find there was no plan. I didn't want to work. I wanted, I wanted to go to the beach and hang. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't that we was all? My plan. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then I think at that point the, the German mark was like four four marks to one dollar. So my money was running out very fast, mm-hmm. and I was like, after a few weeks here, I was going to have to go back home. And so I thought, I don't want to leave. So I met this girl and she had connections to a little Hannah Chumper riding stable here in Del Mar. And she was teaching up and down lessons there. Mm-hmm. And I said, can you just get me? I know I didn't expand about what I know about horses. So I said, I, I know something about it. Can you just get me a job there? So she asked the owner. Long story short, I moved there in a trailer with the Mexican guys and I mucked stalls and cleaned the stalls for a few months and mm-hmm. ended up through, that's a long story by itself, but I ended up riding a little bit and then they say, oh, he looks like he can ride. And so <laughs> it just, 
evolved from there and I ended up staying and then one thing after another I ended up in this area in the equestrian sport more or less wow that's so cool so as you were you know like figuring out life being here in in the U.S. how did you find your way back to dressage First of all, at that hunter jump band, there was one lady had she had imported a horse from Germany to do the hunters with. Oh, okay. And I had gotten I had gotten on, it was a warm blood. And I got on and one of a sudden it was like it would get a little tense, it would do one tempi changes. I would start <laughs> piaffing a little bit. I'm like, that's weird. Uh-huh. So long story short, it was a, a very a well-trained dressage horse from Germany. It ended up I don't know why in the Sahara Jumper Barn. But anyway, and then, of course, everyone at this time, dressage wasn't that well known here. Everyone mm-hmm. went, ooh and ah, and that was beautiful. And I ended up going to, to some dressage shows, then meeting some dressage people from the area and getting out a little bit. And you know how then you start making friends and yeah. making acquaintances and networking a little bit. And I ended up meeting this lady. She was a trainer at the, it was called the Rancher Santa Fe Riding Club. Mm-hmm. And she and her husband, who was a veterinarian, relocated to Oregon, I think. And she needed someone to take over her position at the Rancher Riding Club as a trainer. And she asked me if I was interested. And that's how I ended up there. And that's how I ended up meeting my first sponsors. I don't know, long-time sponsors, Big and Shane Brown, mm-hmm. who ended up buying the wonderful horses from me and, and, and were a big, big part of my career. Wow. That's amazing. So tell me a little bit at this point in time, what were some high points or things that kind of stick out in your head as being, you know, really pivotal parts of your career? Well, I think the first when I got to this, there was a horse, a bigger horse, nice horse. His name was Numir and Dick Brown was riding there and I was teaching him a little bit and he was asking about the horse, what he could do. And I said, well, I think he could do like a championship or something like this. And he says, well, if he can, I'll buy it for you. I'm like, what? <laughs> and um, so long story short, he ended up buying the horse. I trained a little bit. It went small tour. The present Georgia won quite well. Mm. And I went to Gladstone with the horse for the first time national championship. And he, we right away won that. And it was a great success. And that was the beginning of all of us going, oh, wow, this could go somewhere. And then I trained him up to grow up free a little bit. But he, at this point, I didn't know he wasn't that talented. I thought I, he's going to take me to the Olympics. I'm going to win a gold medal. That's what mm-hmm. I thought. Mm-hmm. But then Robert Dover was out here once about teaching clinics and helping me a little bit. And he obviously had a little more experience under his belt at that time. And he said... I don't think so. This is a bit of a lazy horse. But I was like, no, it's going to go take me to the Olympics. Long yep. story short, he was right. I was wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it wasn't going to happen. But in um, the next highlight really was that when Robert got to know me a little bit and my riding, he had a, a horse named Graf George in his barn. And there was a, it was at that time owned by George Lindemann, who ended up, that's another big story. He had to sell the horse. So Robert had the horse and said, I have the perfect horse for you. Uh, if that's a goal for you to go to the Olympics, this would be the horse for you. It's already been to one Olympics, but it's a little hard and difficult, but I think it would suit you perfect. Huh. So the Brownsford channel is enough to say, go and fly, go fly and try out the horse. And I tried out the horse and it really did suit me really well, the horse. And that's what the, that was a really a highlight, just having that horse and opening a completely different world for me in the way what how athletic and how 
good a horse can be. And he really opened a lot of doors for me. And he was, he was your first horse that you rode in your first Olympic games, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your first Olympic experience. What was that like for you? What was the, the year leading up to that moment and any specific like memories that stick out in your head from that? I think with that horse, I mean, obviously, everything is very vivid still for me with that horse because we only had a less than a year together before we went to Olympics, actually only half a year. And I had never ridden internationally anywhere. I've done the year before the Pan American Games, but they were in small, they were pretty in short, I won. But I've never shown the Grand Prix internationally. I never went to Europe before. No, you know, no one would have known who I was or anything like that. And so I entered the trials fairly naive. I mean, hoping, of course, everyone hopes you're going to do well, but we ended up, you know, at that time still that the team was decided in Gladstone at the at the national championship. The top three went to the were the Olympic team basically. And I, you know, that that was a very great competition. And I ended up make, making it there. It was just uh, when something is new and unexpected, I think the it's in some ways much easier because there's less less pressure on you mm-hmm. on, on you from yourself and other people maybe even and it's everything is new and exciting and it was the same getting to the olympics i have to say i was so ecstatic being there i didn't put a lot of pressure onto myself to do that i mean you don't want to do well but it's not like anyone expected me to win a gold medal or anything i was nobody really so when i then had i had a great grand prix and then a good special and better freestyle i ended up i think sixth overall or something individual and we're winning a bronze medal and the team that was way beyond my dreams you know having never competed competing against people like klaus barkenhol or someone i've Hmm. only read about before things so it was always it was it's a very nice and it was a very great experience the first time I wanted to share a little bit of info with you from our lovely sponsor, The Tried Equestrian. The Tried Equestrian is the ultimate full-service provider in equestrian consignment sales. Their mission is to reduce the amount of textiles that end up in landfills and are proud to provide a way for you to clean out your closet while helping make the planet a little greener for us and our homes. So to start consigning, all you have to do is visit triedequestrian.com and request your free consignment kit today. You just have to package up your goods, send them off to the Tried Equestrian, and let them worry about the rest, like photographing each item, marketing the item, shipping the item off to their new home. They do it all. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and wait to get paid. So head over to their website. Again, that's triedequestrian.com to get started. Thank you so much, Tried Equestrian. Okay, let's head back to the episode. Tell me a little bit what you look for when you are trying to find a good horse for you and your your style of riding. What what are some kind of traits that you look for? Well, for me, obviously, I think it's similar what most riders look for. It's a temperament which has the horses need to at this sport have a lot of gold and need to be a little bit on the harder side without being stupid necessarily. Yeah, and really the the 
willingness to wanting to do the job. That's really the main thing. I mean, I mean most people can look at the gates and and make a decision. This is a good enough walk. This is a good enough truck. This is a good enough canner. That's, yeah. that's not that difficult to figure out once you have a horse. The difficulty is really then in the in the end knowing when they go down the line, are they want to do that for you and with you or not? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where you sometimes take some risks in the temperament. I think when you buy, especially horses which are not proven that much, are they going to be too hot? Are they going to end up being too lazy? Things like that. But I, mean, I think everyone is looking for the same type of horse in in that manner. Right. What are some exercises that you like to do at home to that, that you feel like are really helpful leading up to? when you're going to be doing a competition? Well, right before the competition, the, the thing is you don't necessarily want to get stuck with something your horse isn't good with. Like mm-hmm. sometimes everyone knows you go because one of them, your changes have a little glitch and then you go, shit, I'm not <laughs> going to get my twos and my yeah. ones just right. Or it's something with a PF passage. That's usually the two things where things can go a little haywire. And often that's because you overtrain coming towards the show hmm. and you get too intense about it or you want to make it too perfect so i'm trying to work out those kind of things the weeks before and then just maintain before a show and then rather scale down right before the show and work more basics and just address the movement here and there but really really i want to have feel like i have everything in my pocket i don't necessarily want to go to the show and go shit today i can get my twos and my ones yeah it still happens by the way it happens to everyone you've seen it to yep. to any top rider one of a sudden you have mistakes and something and it just gets you a little bit and you can't get quite out of it but that's my my exercises before the show are usually going back to the basics more and more that's really what I'm doing, transitions, transitions, throughness, mm. overall frame. That's the kind of things which are more important. The rest should be there. If your horse is right, it should be able to perform the movements you it knows, you know. Definitely. What would you feel like is an area of the industry that you are really passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? Nothing so much at this point anymore. I think everyone is now with, with social media and everything. Mm-hmm. There's there's no more gray and dark areas. Everything has been exploited from rider fitness. As used to be, I, I used to be a little bit more into that before it became more knowledge uh-huh. knowledgeable and and more popular, so to say to keep myself a little more fit. I think that used to be not such big of a deal. Yeah. And I used to be a little more into my own fitness before it cut on. Now most top riders do some kind of, they do yoga workout or do something or are aware of their physical fitness. Mm -hmm. So that's not so big of a secret anymore. And in general, otherwise, my thing right now I'm trying to do is give back a little more to younger people and and have a little more um, time to teach as well. I still want to mm-hmm. compete and write myself, but I do try to make time to teach a little more and pass a little bit on what I've learned, my experience, and hopefully give some younger writers a little leg up here and there to get more get more knowledge mm-hmm. from someone like me or other people who have done everything that which can help them. 
Yeah, definitely. So that's something I, I'm trying to concentrate a little more on at the same time I'm still writing. Right. What kind of advice would you give someone listening who is maybe fin- finishing out their junior years or start, starting to transition to becoming a young professional and is, you know, looking to put together a business to be to grow and be successful and, you know, go as high or as far as they possibly go? What, what would be some advice that you would have for that? you know, young professional? Mm. Um, you know, I think the best advice really is to obviously work hard. Nothing comes nothing comes easy. If you want to be successful at anything, uh-huh. you need to work hard at it. Stay honest to the people around you and towards the horses. Uh-huh. You, you're right. Don't, don't get so eager to do something that you take shortcuts. Don't stay fair with the horses. And I think in the meantime, I know everyone, it's really, see, you have to survive and make money. But at the same time, you've got to also invest still in your own education, which goes on and on and on in our sports. So surround yourself with people who you admire or surround yourself with someone, try to get some lessons with someone you um, look up to in their mm-hmm. riding, the way they ride, how they conduct themselves on the horse and, and get some instruction, get some help from someone like this. Never stop learning. Don't think you have one good ride and you know it all and do your own thing only. Yeah. Especially when you're young, you've got to keep being open to learning, making your mistakes and having someone help you to get out of them, out of them a little bit. Definitely. I think that's the most impo- one of the most important things. Absolutely. What have you been doing during this past year of, you know, during the pandemic and during quarantine, how have you been able to kind of balance this kind of up in the air feeling that a lot of us in the industry have been feeling like how fit do we keep our horses when do like, you know, are we going to show soon? Are we giving them some time off? How did you navigate that season? I mean, we obviously had ended up having some shows. So I let the horses down a little bit and, you know, you go a little up and down, same as to do with your own fitness sometimes. So uh-huh. I would, I would let them for a few weeks just play a little bit and then just wrap them up a little bit and say, I'm going to train them a little bit like I would have a competition coming up. Not as maybe quite as tense, but keep it going this way to stay a little bit sharp. Uh And once in a while, do something like a little test related at home, something like that, and keep the horses going that way. And for myself, fortunately in our business, we are so, so fortunate um, and lucky that we could keep going what we're doing and I still had clients who would who were able to pay me and 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 do the training so in mm-hmm. that aspect I was super fortunate that life went on mm-hmm. fairly normal and when we had the stay at home order and it really was a little less I just saw you, I lived close to the beach. I just went and surfed a little more. (laughs) (laughs) And you, and that, I mean, yeah, you you need that time and it might not have been that free time for you to go surf, you know, normally. So there's exactly definitely some, uh, some positives to take from something that uh, it was such a big life change for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Of course, you know, I mean, also, I tried to help a little bit the people are less fortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people who did get sick or or, or lost the job. So we were try. I was trying also to be there for some friends and acquaintances to mm-hmm. help out a little bit where it was needed. Absolutely. 
Amazing. Well, Gunter, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I um, am excited for your upcoming season. I know you're headed to Florida also. So I, I just wish you all the best as you take on another year. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.